uh, hours will be like uh, changed a little bit. So I don't know if I can call you in a regular time. I used to call you. So uh, I will do my best to keep the calls. But uh, for a week, it will be a bit of a shaky ground. And I cannot guarantee I, I will have like the perfect schedule. But I will, of course, continue my sitting. Okay. Well, I'll look forward to your next call, even if it's a week away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you you have uh, touched on a subject about um, depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. The modern research is showing that uh, depression and anxiety are closely related. They're deeply related, and that possibly the way of looking at depression is not from the depression of the way that the person feels inside, but the depression has more to do with observable behavior. Mm -hmm. All right. So when you put that in context with anxiety, if our life is filled with anxiety, then anything we do will bring on more anxiety, and therefore, to stop anxiety, we tend to go into a depression. So depression is kind of the cure for anxiety. Mm -hmm. But it's only a symptom. It's not an actual issue. I see. Um, the, the next thing that we need to look at is that the normal functioning of the human brain has a lot to do with uh, the DNA and our past existence. So that what would have been um, a major advantage 100,000 years ago winds up in our new society being a disadvantage, but it's still... Mm -hmm the normal functioning of the brain. Yes. Now, the normal function of the brain can be changed in two ways. One is through, through training, and the other one is through chemical changes. And mm -hmm. the people have been looking for chemical changes or chemical things as a solution to problems that would be better solved with training. Mm -hmm. Okay. An example of that would actually be in any particular sport that training in the sport is the absolute necessary thing that when guys put, put on steroids to do their sport better, they're only adding a little bit on the top. But the entire... Um, point is that the guy's already very good at sports. So most of what was going on was training. You can't take your average Joe Blow or uh, any kid in high school and give him steroids and expect him to be the captain of the football team. Yeah. That just doesn't happen like that. Okay. Um, and so we have to be careful in the understanding of when and why and the, the various uses of medication. This actually means that um, it's 
worthwhile for everyone, especially those who are practicing Anapanasati, to pay very, very close attention. In other words, investigate mm -hmm. what effects these pills have on you. Because mm -hmm. the better you understand the pill, and I think, in fact, what you're saying is, is that you were kind of doing that and yeah. you were kind of figuring out that that pill wasn't doing you as much good as, let us say, the intention of it when you started taking them three years ago. Yeah. And things are, in fact, changing now. Yeah. It was kind of, uh, I have, like, uh, the necessity for it if I didn't have, like, a, a proper training but since i am now engaging in like uh, checking out this stuff and i'm more stable i can actually uh check the if it's still a good uh trade because it uh tempers and numbs uh, some mm -hmm. uh, very needed feelings so i have like to decide if i want to like keep numbering it and i don't anymore Okay. When I first started learning about Buddhism, I've mm. been to many teachers and read a lot of books and all of that kind of stuff. And that I have over the years found that some of the most important key ingredients uh, of Buddhism kind of get sloughed over or not really paid attention to. Uh, uh, mainly because of the frequency of occurrence in the suttas or whatnot like that. Uh, but I was quite um, interested in this quality that uh, the word investigation is used as an enlightenment factor, and the reason is for why. Why would in unremitting investigation become an enlightenment factor? And so using that as research, I came to understand that one's right view, the first item on the Eightfold Noble Path, the right view is let's look at what's going on. That's the right view. Let's actually do an investigation. One of the qualities also in an investigation is, is that it's not a viewpoint. It's not a point of view. When mm -hmm. we think of our, our right view, uh, because of the way that we have been trained, we think of right view as a viewpoint. But in fact, any good movie has many different camera angles. Mm -hmm. Right? And that a very, very low quality movie would only have one camera angle. Mm-hmm like what we're doing here. I mean, we just got one camera and that's it. Yeah. But with a good, with a good high-quality movie that's had a lot of time and effort put into it, one of the qualities of it is, is that the camera will give us a lot of different points of view. Mm -hmm. This is actually part of the practice for the Eightfold Noble Path is to understand that we need to really investigate things and we need to investigate them from more than one point of view. That we need to see it from many, many different points of view. An example of that would be when a doctor is giving you a medication, 
before you take that medication, it's important to investigate the doctor's point of view as to why he's giving you this medication. But unfortunately, those times are gone now. Uh, that The time to ask him about that was when he was prescribing the medication. Mm-hmm. But now we can still come back and start looking at that and investigating for that. Now, one of the things that I'll tell you now is that I'm not in a position of telling anyone to stop taking any medications yeah, or to start taking any medications at all. Mm-hmm. That that will be completely between you and your doctor. But the one who needs the best education, the one who needs the do, to do the deep investigation is the, the client or the patient. They need to really look at what's going on to don't don't take a medication without knowing what it's doing and uh, that means both reading it in the book of what it's supposed to do and then checking that out on yourself to see if that Mm -hmm. medication is in fact doing its job Mm -hmm. and so now that you're practicing Anapanasati a few things are beginning to change one of the reasons that people get into a state of depression, as we had talked a bit earlier, is because that's uh, uh, the reaction to anxiety. When we generally, but it's, uh, depression can be the reaction to a lot of different things, but anxiety seems to be the favorite one. And so uh, by doing the investigation, we begin to see, wait a minute, The problem is not that I'm depressed, that that's merely a symptom of this thing that's going on underneath, this anxiety. And that anxiety is actually, uh, it can be understood to be restlessness. Mm -hmm. And that restlessness can come either in two ways. One is the restlessness that comes up in the mind in the form of um, a a restless mind that jumps from object to object to object. And that this is normally known as monkey mind. Yes. But but anxiety also manifests itself um, in bodily experiences also, that there are actual feelings in the body. Uh, that we need to uh, to become in touch with, to learn, yes, to note. And so uh, this is part of the quality of why um, within the context of the practice of Buddha, uh, Buddhist meditation, let's just call it, or Anapanasati, many of the uh, teaching methods don't deal with very strongly with the with the qualities of the the hindrances and yet again the suttas are very very explicit about that we have to remove the hindrances in order to get into the states that we want to be in because the whole definition of the word hindrance is that it's hindering us like anxiety for instance is a hindrance and uh, restlessness is a is a hindrance to uh, being satisfied and happy. So, part of the investigation that needs to be done 
is the investigation to decide what is it that's worthy of being in the mind and what's worthy or wholesome uh, that we can keep or what is it that is unwholesome and unworthy of being in the mind. And so this, again, is part of the investigation that needs to be done. So this investigation um, is actually part of the Eightfold Noble Path with Sati and with right view. The right view is, is let's view this thing. Let's take a look at what's going on. This is that point that, in fact, the Buddha made so famous when, uh, with that famous statement, Aha, I see you, Mara. Mm-hmm. That Aha, I see you, Mara, Aha, I see you, anxiety, is based upon two things. One was uh, the sati, to wake up, to take a look, and two, the actual looking or the investigation. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Um, in the beginning, we work with the breathing because that's the easiest to learn to control. And then eventually uh, the follow-on is we learn to control uh, the verbal thoughts mm. that are in the mind. And then we begin, as we gain experience, we can actually begin to control the feelings, the way that we actually feel. Now, it is actually possible for people to feel more than one thing at a time. That's what gets things really confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, Anger always is mixed with uh, um, fear. Fear. There's no doubt about it. There's no Mm -hmm. way that anyone will get angry without having some fear mixed in with it. And and so um, one of the ways of defeating an opponent is by getting him angry and then capitalize on the fear. But, but this is the, what we would call industrial psychology or propaganda. And that uh, the, the practices that we're looking at is not how to learn to I'm sorry, your, your connection uh, got like a bit dizzy. Uh, it cut it off yeah, uh, the thing you just did about like... Uh, capitalizing in your opponent's uh, fear and we call it Ubuganda. I didn't understood. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Is my is it, uh, okay, so I'll I'll continue on. Um, looking around at it. We have to look around. Uh, we have to see what's going on with the anxiety. But like I said, we start with learning how to control the feelings. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Control the breath. Okay. And then we learn to control the thinking part of the, uh, of the, the thought process. But one of the things that is kind of um, interesting to note that when we use the word thought or thinking, in English language, that we're really beginning to understand that that there's more than one kind of thinking or more than one kind of thought. Yes. And that one of the kinds of thought that we're working with here is verbal talking inside the mind. But there is other kinds of thinking going on. An example of that would be someone who is doing knitting or cross-stitching 
they may not be talking to themselves about it, but they're certainly yes. thinking about what they're doing. Yes. Okay. So when we're doing things with our hands, another one would be a jeweler who is taking and mounting a diamond on a ring and putting the little yes. uh, fingers uh, into place. He's not talking to himself about that. He may be talking to a student to talk the student through it, but that the actual doing of many things requires a kind of thinking that doesn't require any talking to ourselves at all. Yes. An example of that actually is playing music. Playing music does not require us thinking about it. In fact, if we start thinking too much about it, we yeah. may start screwing up. That's yeah. exactly yeah. what happens with, with kids at a recital, is that they get all confused and everything like that because they're not calming themselves down and getting ready to play. Instead, they're um, anxious and uptight. So... Basically, what we're saying is, is that the top part of the, uh, of the thinking process is actually verbal thought, but there's a lot of stuff that's going on below that, too. In that regard, when we say we learn to control the, the thinking or the thought, that's actually more of the verbal thought. And as we gain the experience in doing that, we also learn to become able to control the thoughts that are lower down, mm. the sub um, parts. That in mm. fact, you could go so far as to understand that a feeling is actually a thought. It just mm. is not a verbal thought. When you are experiencing anxiety, you know you're experiencing anxiety because you actually are, in fact, thinking about or actually experiencing the anxiety. You're paying attention to it. Mm. Okay. So, but being able to control it is a little bit more, is actually part of a training. So the first thing that we learn to do is to control the breathing then we learn to control what kind of verbal thoughts we're going to allow. This is where that whole quality of wholesome versus unwholesome thoughts come on. Because, in fact, what we begin to understand is we're actually able to control those deeper kind of thoughts or the feelings. We actually are able to control that with the verbal thoughts that we have. Now, within the Pali, there are two different words that are used for the mind. One is manu, and the other one is uh, uh, chitta. And chit actually is, uh, or sita, is actually more of the whole mind, in the sense of all of the thinking process, which means also the feelings. So when we use the word chitta, uh, um, like Satchitananda or uh, um, uh, that kind of language, the, uh, like for instance, uh, Sankara. There is a Chitta Sankara, which actually is the mind, but this is more of the feeling kind. That uh, the, the Buddha actually talks about it like this in the sense of the Sankara. When the uh, Paticca Samuppada is is um, discussed, uh, the Sankara, or the old stuff that comes from the past, um, <clears throat> comes in three ways. 
one is bodily, the other one is um, verbal sankara, and the other one is chitta sankara, which actually in the in the Thai language translation of the, that sutta, that word is translated the chitta is translated into jai, which actually is the Thai word for heart, which actually is pointing at that this is means that. We have bodily sankara, we have emotional sankara, and we have verbal sankara. And that the verbal sankara and the emotional sankara are very tightly related, but they are different because there are actually two different words that are used in the, in the Pali. Uh, and that the higher mind um, is... the the frontal cortex in the Pali, this is referred to as manus or manusa. And so we talk about it as the higher mind. Now, um, while we're, we're talking about that, that means that we have three new jobs to do. One is to learn to control the body. The other one is to control the thought process in the, in the sense of verbal and also we eventually learn to control the emotional part. And that uh, when we say eventually, that can be quite quickly. It doesn't have to be years from now. Uh, but we do take it in, in that order, in the sense of learning to take a deep breath. And now we're going to start learning to work with the mind uh, that has to do with the verbal quality or the talking to ourselves. And so the Buddha says that we're going to have kind of uh, two kinds of thought. The kind of thought that would be wholesome and the kind of thoughts that would be unwholesome. The kind of thoughts that are unwholesome would be then the kind of thoughts that we would avoid, but that the wholesome thoughts would be the ones that we would want to encourage. Now, as you're beginning to encourage the mind to have wholesome thoughts, that means that we're beginning to have fewer and fewer unwholesome thoughts, which means that the anxiety will actually naturally go down because we're controlling it in the kind of a secondary way. Mm -hmm. Because there is some anxiety that can be, uh, let us say, brought up or uh, kicked into gear from thinking. But it's also possible for the anxiety to kick us off into a kind of thinking process. Yes. So they, they're interrelated. One will cause the other. Uh, one of the things that has been known for a long time is, is that if you can get people upset, they can't think straight which means that if we begin to think straight, we can begin to settle ourselves back down. Yeah. Many examples of that. I've got many examples of that. One of them is uh, um, uh, at a very famous chess tournament in 1972, Bobby Fischer, an American, who was a, he was a very good chess player, but mm -hmm. he wasn't top quality world class. 
but he was able to go up against uh, Boris Spassky, and he won because he was playing a lot of psychological tricks. You see, Boris Spassky had been uh, trained in playing chess to just play the chess, and he expected his yes. opponent to just play chess. But Bobby Fischer would get up and he would uh, uh, basically stalk. He would mm. get up behind him. He would do things. He would uh, chew food with loud smacking noises. He would do a yeah. whole lot of stuff to try to distract Spassky. And it actually worked. And I like to tell that story because it really does show that, um, uh, that we can become distracted. And that, in fact, in, uh, in university debating teams, they have the quality or the idea that you cannot do ad hominem attacks. In other words, your yes. point in this debate is yeah. to talk about the, uh, the debate and the articles of the debate, not the other guy. You don't yeah. want to attack him because of the position that he's holding. Why? Mm -hmm. Because if you do attack him, he'll get frustrated and upset and he'll lose his train of thought. Yeah. He can't think straight when, and generally that's true. When we are attacked, we cannot think straight. Yeah. Which means that if we're attacking ourselves on the inside, also then we cannot think straight. Mm. And yeah, that's talking, a good twist. If we are. Mm hmm. And so what we need to do with our meditation practice is intentionally learn to think straight, to practice thinking straight, as opposed to practice thinking about it from an emotional level. So basically what we can say is the two kinds of thoughts, the wholesome thoughts, are those that are intentionally directed thoughts, and that the unwholesome thoughts are the thoughts that that are directed through emotions and feelings and uh, wants, desires, etc., like that. Mm -hmm. And so as you begin to monitor your thoughts, begin to watch what you're thinking, we're going to only draw the line of two different kinds of thoughts, wholesome, wholesome and unwholesome thoughts. Okay. Now, in Buddhism, there has been the concept of the monkey mind that's been going around for centuries. Mm -hmm. And it's a good analogy uh, for, for students to understand that, that um, there's a quality of the mind that tends to be moving. Yes. Uh, Goenka calls this mind uh, the wandering mind. That Sigmund Freud... He called it um, free association. association. Why? Yeah. Because even though I'm associating this thought with the next thought, it really, there's not that much of a connection. It just jumps around from yeah. here to there. All right. So going back to the quality of the monkey mind, that means that the monkey can just jump and jump and jump. From, the, from one tree to the next, whether the next tree is a wholesome tree or not. So basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to get that monkey mind to settle down to a smaller area so that he doesn't jump into the unwholesome. Mm -hmm. 
So an example would be that you're, okay, we're going to let the monkey jump all over he wants to jump so long as he stays in just one tree. He does not have a whole forest to go to now. We're only yes, going to let it come into just one tree. And so this is the way that we're going to learn to control or train the mind to be only having wholesome thoughts. I see. Okay? So I the see. wholesome kind of would be the kind of thoughts that have to do with what's going on right now, the here now. Mm-hmm. So in uh, a wholesome thought would be... Uh, when we wake up and we can see the anxiety directly, we can see it, or in the sense of feeling it as a sensation. Oh, there it is. And I can begin to think about that anxiety directly. But if I am not mindful, if I'm not aware of that anxiety, that anxiety will still, let us say, trigger the monkey to jump all over the place. That in fact, uh, even though most anxiety is uh, subconscious, it's still the boss. Even though we don't know that we have anxiety, still our behavior will be motivated by that uh, anxiety and so will our thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. For, for instance, if we have anxiety, we'll have thoughts of danger, we'll have thoughts of problems, we'll have thoughts of um, uh, uh, things to do, we'll Scarcity. have thoughts of, uh, I don't, yeah, right, I don't want to go there, and in fact, mm-hmm. it can bring on a kind of depression that is actually better to not think at all than to think of the kind of thoughts that the anxiety is trying to give us. Yeah. Oh, okay. But another way of doing it is by bringing this anxiety up to full awareness in the sense that now we're fully conscious of it. It's not the boss anymore. Mm -hmm. We can actually see it and we can choose to do things about it. One of the things that we could choose to do about this anxiety is taking a few deep breaths. Because, in fact, the breathing does help clear out the poisons out of the body. Yeah. And so if we start deep breathing and pay attention to that area where the anxiety is, by breathing into that place, and breathing out there, we do not allow that anxiety to take over the mind and start uh, having the kind of thoughts that not only are unwholesome, but they keep the anxiety going. Yes. All right. So here's a little story about that. There's an old guy that lives in the Hubble. This was many, many thousands and thousands of years ago. And he's sitting in the hovel in his little hut, and he starts to have anxiety. It's at night. He can't get to sleep. He's just something, he's worried about something, but he can't quite figure out where this anxiety is coming from. Mm-hmm. So he starts to think, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And so he comes with the idea I know what the problem is, I know why I'm feeling so bad. The fence needs to be repaired. 
the, now the goats can get out and the wolves can get in. And so he hops up, he gets out of the hovel, he goes to repair the fence. And he spends maybe an hour or two in the middle of the night fixing the fence. And then he goes back down and he lays down again. And guess what? The anxiety comes back. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't even that the anxiety came back. It was that while he was repairing the fence, the anxiety was still there. But it was unconscious. And he didn't see it. Okay, so in fact, now what we're talking about are three levels of consciousness. The level of consciousness to where we're, it's subconscious, it's controlling us, it's giving us thoughts. And then we have the idea of uh, that we can see it, but we still can't do anything about it. And then there is the fully waking up. This is the sati that we're looking for, to be fully awake so that we can see that anxiety and know that we can do something about it. And what we're going to do about it is, number one, start taking some deep breaths. And number two, we're going to make sure that the kind of thoughts that that we're having are not driven by this anxiety or this restlessness. So we're going to have thoughts like, oh, I'm glad I see that anxiety. You know, there's no reason to feel anxiety right now. I can settle down. And so we begin to have thoughts, verbal thoughts, that are directed for the anxiety to help it settle down. Okay. So that would be tranquilizing? Pardon? That would be the tranquilizing of the mind? Okay, you can use that kind of word. Mm-hmm. You actually are realizing something, but that word realizing has something uh, strange about it. Mm-hmm. And that is, is that um, we don't really actually ever realize anything. What we do is we mentalize or that we understand things. And we'll talk about this at a later time in Patika Samupada. But... We don't really ever realize anything. What we do, uh, because to realize something means to make it real. So if I realize that tree doesn't mean that the tree is growing out of the top of my head. That what I've done is when I see the tree and know the tree, that means I mentalized that tree. Hmm. So I'm just taking on the word um, uh, realizing right now, because we don't really realize anything. What we do is we mentalize. The question is, how close is our mentalization to the actual reality? Because the closer our mentalization is to the actual reality, then the less suffering is likely to happen. We really do want to see things the way they really are. Okay. And, And the things that the world is presenting in this outside, world as it's coming in through all of the senses and all of that kind of stuff that's coming from the outside there is no anxiety coming from the outside coming in mm-hmm. and so any anxiety that comes up was already on the inside this is an important point to recognize that when we are in the present moment when we are in reality there is no need for in general any anxiety that in general, in the, the reality of the moment is not dangerous. 
many things in the past and many things in the future can be dangerous. But right this very moment, it's not dangerous. You're in a situation right now in the room that you're in. There is no reason to feel danger. And yet this danger is, um, I use the word danger to point at a very, very low uh, level of um, fear that is also the source of anxiety. That underneath, mm -hmm. underneath all anxiety is a little bit of a fear. And yet the reality is there's nothing to fear. No reason to feel any anxious, uptight, or anything like that. But we do because of our sankara, because that's our pattern or the habit of the mind. So the, when we're actually able to observe things the, clearly, then that means that we're observing things without adding any of our own uh, likes and dislikes and wants and feelings with it so that we get a much better image. Okay, so when we when we mentalize things or realize something, the the more pure it is, based upon the actual outside, the better off we'll be. In the sense that we're not making so many mistakes. So, what we need to see then is, um, as we're practicing and waking up, we can we can begin to say, I can control these feelings by controlling the thoughts and eventually we'll be able to control the feelings directly but right now we have two things two tools that we can use to help work with feelings one is learning to control the breath and the other one is learning to control the thoughts once we gain skills at doing those things we're already going in the right direction of learning how to control the feelings i see but then we're gaining the so that we can begin to apply that directly to the feelings in the sense of taking a deep breath and say I don't have to feel anxiety right now I don't have to feel depressed and as we do that we can actually say well I don't have to which means I, I don't really I can become the champion here I can in fact take over this process and change the outcome so that I don't feel uh, stressed, I don't feel tense, I don't feel uptight, I don't feel anxious. I can feel satisfied. I can feel secure. And so this is the practice that we're uh, that we're working on. And I know a lot of students. They say when I when I practice, all of this stuff comes up. Yes, it does. But. You can learn to control it through the breathing, and you can learn to control it through directing the thoughts to have only wholesome thoughts yeah. and to stay out of the hints. And so as we're learning to practice Anapanasati, that's one of the main things that we have to do. We can't just sit there and let the mind wander away and call that meditation, even if it feels mm -hmm. like we're going very deep long as we're not actually making that division and change between allowing only wholesome thoughts and throwing out and not allowing unwholesome thoughts. Mm -hmm. So the Buddha is talking about it from two different methods. One is this quality of wholesome versus unwholesome thoughts. And the other one is by looking at it from the sense of the hindrances 
and cleaning them out. But it's the same thing. We're just looking yes. at it from two different uh, yeah. of looking at it. Right. Like the Buddha has two different. Okay. So this is the way that we can practice, and we don't need a formal sitting time to do this. That yeah. we can begin to just sit, uh, or I'm any doing time this that you can think today. of. Yeah. Any time you can think of it, you can say, "Hey, I can see. I can sit here and feel good. I don't have to feel bad. I don't have to feel uptight or tense." Yeah that I can start to have the kind of thoughts and the kind of breathing that I want, and, and very soon that can begin to, like three or four minutes later, you can begin to manage those feelings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes me uh, think a series of uh, things, because like uh, when you were like speaking about uh, this uh, two different ways of like uh, perceiving, uh, one thing that I noticed, uh, it it was like uh, there is a perspective of like the observator that like if you look at uh, even if it, it the object is bad, if you can actually perceive it, it turns out to be uh, wholesome, right? Mm -hmm. And the other and the other side around, if you look in the perspective of like the object. In itself, uh, the mere fact of it being good actually like uh, sums it up to the quality of like the observer, the good observer, right? Mm -hmm. So it like tangles yeah. the subject and the object in this uh, way of viewing it. But uh, it poses me another question that com comes from like uh, combining these uh, two observations, because like. Uh, the other day I was like uh, in my sitting session and I was like, I was like perceiving that is like uh, I was feeling my body very anxious, but my mind actually wasn't even a little bit. I could feel like uh, my heart racing. I could like feel the uh, physiological uh, sensation of being anxious, but not my mind. My mind was like under control. But it was not because I was like trying to make it under control, but because it it was like uh, already separated. I don't know when it mm -hmm. began to happen, but it was like there's now a gap. And that actually what makes me think I can actually like uh, tackle this uh, challenge of the antidepressant, like taking it off because it. And like three years ago would affect my my mind too. Um, the other thing is like uh, I can already like uh, puncture the thoughts and make them vanish, but I cannot like uh, even though I have this capacity, I cannot like uh, manu manufacture. Uh, Thoughts that I can believe, even though I can puncture the bad ones, I cannot manufacture like uh, thoughts that I, that I can actually buy into. So the controlling the bad thoughts is it's like a more easy part for me, but like the trusting in the ones I build is like a, a bit harsh. 
It's good. You're beginning to watch what's going on. I'm, I like that. You're making good progress. So you keep up with this investigation. You keep watching. You okay. keep noting. And you keep making the decision that I'm only going to allow wholesome thoughts and not allow unwholesome thoughts. Unwholesome thoughts would be like wanting things you don't have or trying to fix something that's broken or trying to tell someone off, or any of that kind of stuff. But when we say, wait a minute, things are okay like they are right now. That's how we begin to feel good, is let things be the way that they are. Mm -hmm. Now, um, generally when people think of it like that, there are many teachers talk, talk about it like that. But we have to understand that the here we're talking about letting the things be that are on the outside world that we're not going to just let it be in the sense of anxiety and bad thoughts and hindrances and all of that be on the inside that we actually want to clean that stuff up uh, because letting that stuff be um, actually it doesn't like the outside world Mm. And so there's not going to be, even, even if we can say, let it be, let it be, we're not letting it be. Yeah. That we actually have to change the way of our thoughts so that we can actually come to a state of being satisfied with the way things are. Because it's really mm -hmm. all a change on the inside, and that change is needed and necessary. And that... To be honest with you, I know many people who, once they start practicing Anapanasati, they don't see much need for the medications anymore. Mm -hmm. They begin to examine, they begin to understand the reasons that they took these medications and why they don't need them so much anymore. Uh, but it's always a good idea to check back with the doctor who ever gave you that medication. Yeah, I did it. I did that, it that, before. Yeah. that you don't need it anymore, or maybe you need a new uh, dosage or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because doctors would really like to hear that finally they're successful. Normally they just give pills and pills and pills and pills, and people don't make much change. So if you can actually tell him, hey, I feel much better. Yeah. And I don't need your pills anymore. He'll like that. <laughs> I bet. All right. Well, you go practice on. You're doing very well. You keep looking. You keep investigating. You keep making okay. sure that only the wholesome thoughts are there. Okay. Uh, let me ask you two questions. Uh, just uh, so I can check if my practice is like a... In the right structure because what I am doing is uh, I'm sitting, I'm taking deep breaths, uh, I'm watching everything that is going on, I'm catching if it's a bad thing. If I catch a bad thing, I will like catch it, uh, congratulate myself for doing it, like gathering the mind, and then mm -hmm. I'm like watching the feeling of letting it go. And I'm like, re rinse and repeat. That's it? Yes. It's okay. a very simple process. It just needs to be done repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Rinse okay. and just repeat. So rinse so I can and check. repeat. Rinse and okay. repeat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, 
but there is uh, this focus on the real real realizing part like the letting go part is uh, like a uh, important thing like to watch like the quality of realizing or it's not uh, mm -hmm. as important the most the highest quality thoughts you can have are the are the quality of thoughts that have to do with right here right now okay and possibly the highest of those quality thoughts would be the thoughts that have to do with the third noble truth. The thoughts about being free from suffering. Wow, this is so nice. Oh, I like it. Oh, mm -hmm. I, <laughs> this is good stuff. Okay, those are the kind of thoughts that are very high quality thoughts that have to do with what's happening right now in regard to the four noble truths. And the highest one is that third noble truth of being free from suffering. And to know that in this particular moment, there's no anxiety. Okay. Okay. And so notice that. There's an emptiness to it also. Not just yes. to notice it when the anxiety is there, but know when you're free from anxiety also. Yeah. Wow, this feels so good. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I've got another call waiting, and I'll uh, finish this off now. And you, I'll see you in about a week or so. And you take care and practice well. Okay, you too. You're making good progress. I'm glad to Thank hear Thank you it. so much. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. We'll see you later, Arthur. Bye-bye. We'll see you.